0: Hi, this is John Marks, and I'm the Administrative Pastor here at Waterside Church. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast channel, where we upload weekly teachings from our senior elder Larry Titus and guests. Our hope is that these messages inspire you to grow your faith on a deeper level as we learn and lead together. Enjoy the message. I know the Father in heaven because of Jesus Christ and Larry's investment in my life. But when I was 17 years old, I went out drinking with an older cousin. He was 24, I was 17. And my parents said, no, you're too young, you can't go out. I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, I love sports and all that. So I decided to go out drinking with my, my cousin. And about 20 minutes into shooting pool, drinking, having a good time. I mean, we, I, I thought I was having a good time. As a 17-year-old, I could be drinking and out at midnight. My cousin turns to me and says, I'm going to rob this bar. And it's midnight. Uh, we're drunk. And I, I understood what he was going to do. But I knew I wasn't going to do it. I knew that um, that was something I would have thought of or would have planned to do. So the idea was we'd leave well, with an older stepbrother. He drove us there. We'd leave, go park. My cousin would go back. The plan was he would go back and, to the bar and get some money. And I, I stood out in the parking lot waiting for him. And in my mind, I, I kind of thought maybe he'd come running out the door with some money and we'd take off. He never came out. A couple of minutes, about a minute later, I walked up to the bar. And when we walked in the bar, he was murdering the owner. He had stabbed the owner to death behind the bar. Stuck around, got some money, took off, went to New York City, walked the streets to New York City, Lost, completely lost. You know, I had no idea what to do. Uh, my cousin said he had a plan. And of course, I just followed my cousin. He's my favorite cousin. People said, well, why? Oh, he's my favorite cousin. He treated my mother like gold. And that's why I, was, I, just had a, I just had a respect for him because of what he did. And what young boy would not respect a man who respects their mother? Took off, well, realized that this is a dead end. So I turned myself in. I was arrested and charged. I was charged with murder, robbery, and burglary, some other uh, conspiracy to commit murder. And I remember um, thinking my mother was with me and she said, Gene, tell the truth, tell the truth. So I told the truth, you know, and my cousin knew that I was turning myself in. He knew that he did the homicide. So I tell the truth and I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm gonna go home. That was the only thing I think of. And they said, Stand up, you're under arrest. They handcuffed me, they booked me, and they took me to a juvenile detention center where I sat for nine months before my trial or before my hearing. But during the time, I had an attorney, I had a public defender. The public defender says, The best thing you can do is plead guilty to murder. You can be out in 10 years. And I'm thinking, I'm 17. I can't even comprehend what it'd be like 21. And, uh, But I said, OK. I felt guilty because I didn't have a moral compass, I didn't have a backbone. When my cousin said, I'm going to rob this place, I should have said no. I said no, you know. He was from out of town, out of state, but I didn't. So I really felt guilty. So I, I pled guilty, and nine months later, I was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to do 10 years. Well, the rude awakening was when I went to the state correctional institution in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, for adults on my 18th birthday. I realized that life in Pennsylvania... Meant life without parole. You will die in prison. You will not get out unless the governor steps in and commutes your sentence by, by a plea of mercy. So that was my only hope. So I figured uh, I'm going to go and get a GD. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get an education. You know, my friends would visit me. I had 40 high school friends came to the prison one time. They wouldn't let them all in. They said, Gene, there's too many. You know, and I was just, I was like, wow. So I, I kind of motivated me. I, I wanted to do something right. I wanted, to, I wanted to do something better with my life. So I got involved in every program there was in the prison system from AA to NA, Narcotics Anonymous, um, self-help groups, prison adjustment groups. I sat with psychologists. I sat with uh, psych, psychiatrists and figuring out how at 17, 18 years old, I'm doing life without parole and all my friends went on to college they got married after a few years. So about three, four years, I'm working, I'm in the prison system. Six years go by and it gets old. It gets real tiring. And I'm like, this is, this is not getting it. You know, looking for something to mask the pain, the shame and the guilt of being in prison. And so I found it in drugs. I found it in weed. I found it in making my homemade wine and I made some good homemade wine. And, uh, and there was a lot of times that there was a number of people on the cell block that were drunk and, and, uh, but then I started venturing even further into meth and to cocaine into putting a needle in my arm. So about between seven, eight, nine years into my sentence, that was my lifestyle. I chased it. We sold it. We, we dealt with it and I hid everything I was doing wrong. I lived a chameleon life. I knew how to act. I knew how to dress. I knew how to go to work on time and I had a report on time. I knew how to do the things that the institution required of, of me, but I, I, I was dragging my heels all the way, you know, and uh, I was really rebellious. So I was um, wheeling and dealing and next thing you know, the, the person who was bringing the drugs in got arrested at the gatehouse. Well, there was about a three week period that there was no drugs in the institution and You know, I'm walking around. I'm like, this, this is, this is not good. You know, I I couldn't find anything to mask the pain and the shame and the guilt. Little did I know that there was hundreds of people in the community of Camp Hill, which Larry was part of. They were praying for the institution, and there was a program called Prison Invasion 86. And so, I had nine and a half years in. uh, In December of '86. I go to this uh, prison invasion called Prison Invasion 86. And it was about 100 men from the outside community, lay people, some pastors, worship people. And they they were holding services Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I was encouraged to go. And I said, okay, I'm going to go. So I I go to this prison invasion uh, church service on Friday night. And I walk into the prison chapel and it was at least 300 people in this chapel. It fit about 250 tight, but there was people along the walls and standing, and the music was, the choir loft was filled. There was a band up front, and they were playing, and I'm like, I'm walking in, and it was like a gauntlet of men who were just shaking my hand and, and, and greeting me and saying, hey, Jesus loves you. We're glad you're here. We love you. We care about you. I never had another man tell me that Jesus loved me, that I could remember, and I never had another man tell me that he loved me, and I was thinking, wow, this is, this is foreign to me, but... Uh, it felt right. It felt right. It felt like I was in the right spot, but I was like a fish out of water. So I go and find a seat and I don't know anybody. I didn't, I didn't have anybody around that I knew. I, def- I definitely didn't know any Christians, but one, and I didn't see him there. And so I sit and I hear the message and the guy gets up and when he starts preaching the gospel, the people are like clapping and they're going like standing up and hands raised. And I'm like, this is pretty cool because my experience with church was you go in, You know, put some money in a basket, light a candle, you kneel, you sit, you kneel, you stand, you kneel. It's kind of like aerobic type thing, you know? And and you leave and and it's like, that's it on Sunday. So I go and I'm sitting down, I hear the message and then the pastor at the end says, real men, make commitments. Jesus died and rose again for you. And I knew he was speaking to me because my stomach was churning, my hands were sweating, but I didn't make a commitment that night, I left. I go back, come back Saturday night and I bring some friends with me. I, you know, I was just like, hey guys, you gotta come over. It's so exciting. So we go over and, and I hear the same thing: the, the music, the worship. The, the the pastor gets up and he's preaching, Jesus died and rose again. He was buried, he rose again. And and I'm like, man, I I can believe that. You know, I I I don't but did he do it for me? So the question is, did Jesus die for me? And it kind of weighed on me. But my hands are sweating, my stomach was churning, and I just remember that. Um, when he said, real men make commitments, I didn't move. And I sat there. So at the end of the service, there was the music was playing a little bit lighter and people were mingling. And it was a, a just people just walking around to different people and say, hey, do you know Jesus? And they kept coming to me all weekend. Hey, do you know Jesus? And I was like, no, have you made a commitment tonight? And I said, no. And I remember getting tired of like saying no. So when people would, I saw someone coming looking at me, I would put my eyes down. I was like, he, go away, you know, go away. And so next thing you know, I hear someone behind me saying, how are you doing tonight? I turn around and he says, have you made a commitment? I was like, man, they're sneaking up on me, you know? And I was like, wow. I said, no, but I, I, I don't remember what I said. Like, yeah, I know some Christians. And he said, okay. He said, hey, wait right here. So he goes and he goes and he gives me his card and it's Larry Titus. His name is Larry Titus. I look and um, I'm like looking at this guy and I'm like, are you a Christian? He says, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, well, how long have you known Jesus? He said, since I was four years old. And I, was, I looked at him and I was, I knew, I knew he was telling me the truth, but it was kind of co- hard to comprehend a four-year-old that knew Jesus. He said, I knew God's call for my life at five, that God called me to be a missionary. And I, it just blew me away. I mean, it just blew me away. And, I, and I, we talked a few minutes and, and he left, I left. And I went back to the cell. Well, I went back Sunday morning. And I couldn't shake the idea that a four-year-old could know Jesus. And at five, he could have a plan for the life. And for me, I was 26. I had nine years in a prison system. You know, I, I was not in condemnation way, but I knew I wasn't where I was supposed to be. I didn't know where I was supposed to be, but I knew I wasn't where I was supposed to be. So I go back Sunday and I hear the message again Jesus died and rose again, and in him there's eternal life. And I'm like, well, I know life without parole. So I'm really struggling with this, and, and I, the guy kept saying, real men make commitments, real men make commitments. So next thing you know, I find myself standing up, and I'm going to the front, and get on my knees with some other guys, and we said a prayer. And he led me through a sinner prayer, it was basically, Jesus, come into my life, set me free, I want to live for you, be the Lord of my life, I believe you died and rose again. And when I stood up, I felt like weight came off my back like these chains came off me. And I I can't explain it any other way than than it was a physical weight came off my back. And I remember sitting there and standing there and they said, go back, read your Bible. Do you have a Bible? And I said, yeah. And they said, go back, read your Bible. So I go back, I'm reading my Bible. As I'm reading my Bible, I'm crying, like I'm forgiven. You know, God loves me and I'm forgiven. And you know, (laughs) I'm wheeling and dealing and all these guys are coming to my cell. And now there was a package that came in and the guys were like, "Hey, we got we got the meth, we got the we got." And I was like, "I don't want to do with it." And they're like, "What? What happened?" I said, "Oh, I got saved. I got saved this morning at ten 30. You know? They're like, "Well, you look different. There's a glow about you." And I'm like, "All I know is I got saved. I don't want to do. I don't want to get high." And they're like looking at me like, "Okay," and they leave. So I keep reading my Bible, and as I'm reading my Bible, I'm like, "Wow, Jesus forgiven me. Uh, the Father loves me." Um, I need to love other people. So it started with this idea that I had made a lot of offenses. I offended a lot of people uh, in the prison. So I started um, going around and apologizing to people. And it just seemed like, wow, this is another dimension. This is another world, you know? Gene's carrying a Bible and he's walking cell to cell apologizing. But you know what? I I just, I thought I, I would go back to my cell and. You know, anybody that I felt like I hurt, I would try to amend. And, if, I, and if, if they offended me, I forgave them. But it really led to freedom. It really led to my freedom to further a deeper walk in with the Lord. So I, I find a card, Larry gave me his card. I find it, I write him a letter, probably about 10 pages, front and back. I said, this guy is gonna move, you know? And he writes me right away and says, put me on your visiting list, I'm coming to visit you. So I put it in like the next week, Larry's in visiting me. And whatever he taught his church on Sunday um, there in Camp Hill at Christ Community Church, he would share with me on Monday. And I would, I would every Monday I would go out and a visit for an hour, hour and a half. He would buy me lunch and soda, whatever, and we'd tell me testimonies and stories and he always drop some gold nuggets of scripture truth on me. You know, like I remember he said, Gene, be teachable and correctable. Because if you're teachable, you always grow. And if you're correctable enough, no matter how far you get off track, you'll get back on. And it still governs my life today. It really does. And so as I, I'm, I'm learning, as I'm growing, whatever I learned from Larry, I would, I would pray about it. Um, beside that he would always tell me to memorize the Bible. Just don't read it, memorize it, memorize, memorize the Bible. Because one day you're going to get out and you, you're not going to have time to do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm studying the Word and I'm serving I'm just serving anybody that would come around. I do not care if you had a brown uniform with DOC on the back. It didn't stand for Disciple of Christ. It was Department of Corrections. I was the the property of the Department of Corrections, literally. And so I would just serve everybody, officers. um, I didn't care what kind of crime you had. You know, I I got criticized. You know, I'm a hugger, you know, so I'd hug guys. And people come up and say, don't you know what that guy's in prison for? I said, I don't care. You know, uh, so it's, a, it's about loving people. If you're loving, you're willing to be vulnerable. And so we just served and served and served. And one of the things that I remember is Philippians, it says in chapter two, verse five through seven, it says, have the same attitude that Jesus had, <clears throat> who being a form of God, didn't consider equality with something to be grasped, like bragged about, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. So I thought, man, I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna be a servant. I really want to be a servant, you know? And I looked up the word servant and I was like, I don't think I want to be that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, there's no like glory, you know, what's the, but I realized the two ingredients that I learned was a servant has no rights, no entitlement mentality, and also he considers others more important than himself. It doesn't devalue you but it puts value in someone else. But it changed my ministry because I would look at people and I'd be able to serve. I didn't care if it was an officer, corrections officer, or an inmate, it didn't matter. Or you were the warden, I would still think about you in serving, I want you to know Jesus. So as the years go by, I mean, a couple years, 11 years in, I talked to Larry and I said, hey, there's opportunity to go to a commutation process through the governor, it's a plea of mercy. So we, we get together and we, we work on it and I file my petition. And I get denied, 11 years. And it hurt, listen, it it hurt. I, you know, my friends told me, your first couple times you're gonna get denied, but there's nothing like getting denied, right? And I kept thinking I'm a servant, nobody owes me anything, but man, I wanted to get out, you know? So I got denied and I went back to my cell and I would literally get on my knees and I would worship the Lord and I would say thank you for my denial. Because in Thessalonians, it says, give thanks in all circumstances, So whether I had a money order come in the mail or Christmas card or birthday or visit or not, you know, you still give thanks. But one of the things I learned about Thanksgiving is God's attracted to a thankful heart. He's attracted to a broken heart, but he's also attracted to a thankful heart. So I didn't always feel thankful, but I said it out loud and I said it until I really meant it. You know, and sometimes I'd have to fake it, you know, or faith it till you make it. And so I, I you know, at the time it was faking it, but God taught me, you know, that your, your words have power. And so I, 12 years, I filed again and got denied. And I had support. I mean, I had, I had a, my district attorney, which is unbelievable, um, supported my release, which is so unusual. It's, it's unheard of. And also, I had just a lot of support. Larry introduced me to man after man, friend after friend. you know. So Larry would come in every Monday, but he would always bring other men with him. And then after a while, we started bringing guys out with me. So the guys that I was discipling, Larry was discipling, they'd get together, we'd match them up. And so there was times there was 20 people out in the visiting room, in the prison visiting room. It was unbelievable, you know? So at 17 years, I, um, I fall again, and I get denied, and it hurt. And it's disappointing, you know. You're taking that long walk from the office where they tell you you denied back to your cell, and the whole time you're like, "Okay, just got to get on my knees and worship the Lord," you know. And and but it just changed my ministry. It changed my life. I, I never got bitter. I never. It, it just immediately stops bitterness, you know, where you're grateful. You can't be bitter. And so, uh, 24 years, and I learned. I think I learned a really good lesson uh, early on too. Is like. Um, Larry as a as a father figure to me. I grew up without a father, pretty much divorced. I had a stepdad. It was a good guy. He was a Christian guy, but it was a short period of time before I went to prison. But you know, as as meeting Larry, um, there was there was a couple qualities that really um, showed. One is, is faithfulness and his unconditional love. And I think all fathers need to have an unconditional heart toward their children, as our heavenly Father does. And the other thing was that. Larry provided me a place to fail safely. And I failed. Listen to me, I failed, you know? I would come out in a visit and the officers are on me and the, this, I didn't get this and I didn't get that. And Larry's like, praise God. <laughs> He's like, praise God. All things working together for the good, you know? And, but he just, he just affirmed. He affirmed the word of God in me and he affirmed my calling, you know? And, and just what, whatever I was doing, he just affirmed it. And it just made me have great confidence in knowing the word. And, you know, so even today, it's like, um, um, pray and read the word, pray, read the word, pray, read the word. And it's, it's, it sounds simple, and it sometimes sounds like, come on, give me something different. But that is the answer. So at 24 years, I remember, um, uh, a, this is before that, but I was reading a scripture, and I was sitting in my cell, waiting to go to church, and I was reading a scripture, it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. And I was reading this and Lord, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, you don't believe that. And I'm like, yeah, I believe it. He says, you don't believe it. So I'm kind of sitting there like going back and forth with the Holy Spirit. I'm just like, I believe it. He said, no. He said, well, go look in the mirror and tell yourself you're awesome. And I was like, that's dead. That's not happening. <laughs> that's stupid, you know? And I had a single cell, so... And we had these little plastic mirrors, you know, that we, little plastic funhouse mirror you have on there. You could shave with them. So I, I, I get up off my seat and I walk by the mirror. I'm like, mm, no. And I look back and you're awesome. Gene, you're a liar. Because, I, you know, I kept thinking about my past. I was, in, I was in prison for homicide. I was in prison for participating in a robbery, you know, Uh, the years of sexual lust, the years of anger, the years of, um, I was a quiet, angry guy. I would hold a grudge, you know? So all those things kind of, and as I would look in the mirror, I'm like, you're awesome. And God says, I made you awesome by my spirit. You're awesome. You're not what you used to be. You're a new creation. So it really did, it just changed the way I viewed myself and the way I viewed other people. And so 24 years, I get denied again and I go back to my cell and I worship the Lord and I give thanks for my denial. And it's difficult because I have so much support. It was hard to get on the phone and call Larry and Debbie and say, Larry, I was denied. But you know what? They were like, praise God. God's got a plan. His timing is perfect for your life. Um, you cannot, you cannot supersede. You cannot jump his plan for your life. And so waited a few more years. With 30 years in, I filed again. And it waited two and a half years for a response. So 32 years, um, um, it's a considerable amount of time as a life sentence inmate. I get notice. I get notified that my petition was responded to and it would come up to a, a board in the prison. And so I go up and sit and everybody's smiling, you know, and I'm like, I'm excited, this is my fifth time. Somewhere along the line, I had my mind that five is a number of grace. So I'm thinking, this is God's grace, I'm going home. And they sit down and said, Gene, the governor denied you. And I felt like a blow in my stomach. I was like, oh. But I I knew, I learned some things. You know, everybody's able to teach you something, even your enemies. Um, And I remember an officer told me, resign gracefully. Always resign gracefully because you never know what will come next. So I remember standing up, shaking her hand and thanking him. And I said, is there anything else I can do to better my opportunity? He said, maintain a good record and we'll see you in two years. So I go back to my, as I walk walking back to my cell, I have about a 10 minute walk and I can hear the Holy Spirit saying, get on your knees and thank me. And I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's what I've done and that's what I'm gonna do. So I go back to my cell, I shut the door and walking back and forth in this cell, five, six, seven steps, five, six, seven steps. And I can feel the Holy Spirit, just get on your knees. And I'm like, my knees won't bend. I mean, I'm stiff as an iron board, but I know what to do. So finally, I just hit my knees and I cried like a baby. I mean, I put the pill on my face and I, I thought, I'm gonna die in this place. But if I die, I leave a legacy for other men to follow. And that was my heart. And I thought, nothing could be better than leaving the legacy for other people to follow and make an impression on people for Christ. So as I, as I kind of got my, my, my breath, I knew I had to say thank you. I knew I had to open my mouth and say thank you. And so when I got my kind of the, everything out of the way, I, said, I started saying thank you to God. I said, thank you for denying me. Thank you, Lord. And as I started to thank him, these words came in my mouth. Thank you for providing, protecting, and promoting me. And I never had to use my hands again to fight. I never had to sell drugs for money. I never had to one-up anybody to get a better job. If you serve, you'll rise up. And so I realized God pro- provided for me. He protected me and he promoted me. I never had to like step on anybody to get on top or, you know, to, to have a promotion. And when I said that, I got real quiet. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say this, I'm gonna release you, but not based on your effort." not on who you know, not on what you've accomplished. And that's all I had. I had a resume. I would, I would, I would share the resume with Larry. We would send this resume and this petition in to the board of pardons and it would get denied. And every time I'd send it in, it got bigger and bigger, more and more people and just influential people, politicians. It was just unbelievable, you know? And I said, okay, that sounds like the Lord. That sounds like the Lord that I have nothing in this. I, you're not gonna use anything I have. You know, I've prepared all this stuff. I, don't, I, I can't use any of it. So I said, okay. So when I stood up, I said, what do I do now? And the Lord said, go back to work, go back to serving, go back to the picnic table in the yard with your Bible and sit, go back to worship. Go back to getting up at morning and praying and reading. And so I do. Well, two months later, I get legal mail, which I have no Interest in courts. Um, I never appealed my my uh, case, so I lost all my appellate rights. They called me the destiny to death, so you have a legal mail." Well, it's a letter from an attorney saying, "Hey, there's a new law. You can file an appeal. Uh, Supreme Court ruled about juveniles, so you can file an appeal." And I, I sat on it. Everybody files. There's almost nearly 500 lifers that were juveniles who filed their appeal. They all got denied. I mean, one after another, denied, denied. And I'm thinking, oh, well, Lord, what I do? He said, yeah, peace, file, go forward. So I filed mine with like, like a week left with eligibility for my appeal. I had 60 days to file. And I think it was like 10 days to go. And it's granted. Not only granted, but they assigned an attorney to me. So that started a process. And the process was I you know, talked to them. They had to find transcripts. They had to find all this stuff out. And along the way, the attorney kept saying, Gene, what did your attorney do for you? And I said, well, he did this, this. He said, no, what did he do for you? I said, well, he did. He said, no, he didn't do anything. We believe that he lied to you, that he, he, he pled you into an illegal plea agreement, and you have an unconstitutional sentence. But we have to have a DA to agree, and we have to have a judge to agree. So the process takes 20 months. Well, the district attorney agreed, all out we had to get a judge a new judge which Larry became involved in writing the judge Larry said you know I remember Larry and Debbie both they would come up to the prison and they were sitting in the chapel uh, prison and they asked me they said if, if you know what happens if when you get out you know what do you want to do and I said I want to come to Texas and I want to work for you guys and they said they looked at each other and they like well we'll we'll work it out we'll do it you know you you have a home and a place to go And so I was sitting there, and so I had another couple months to go, and next thing you know, I'm in court. They vacated my life sentence, said it was illegal, but I didn't know I was going to go home. I had no idea, and I was in an orange jumpsuit, shackled, chained. I was at the defendant table, and the judge heard the case, and then the judge says, "Uh, do you have anything to say? And I remember standing up and apologizing to, to my family, to the victim's family, to my community, and I remember I was just like in tears, just trying to get these words out. And I knew I had an opportunity that I never had before. Because I, I didn't, as 17, I never apologized. I didn't even know, didn't even think about it. So I said, well, if I go back to prison, I had this opportunity to apologize publicly and thank everybody. And the judge says, I've heard enough. And he goes on and reads a verdict or a uh, um, affidavit that was prepared months before and it basically went on and said the defendant G. McGuire, having served 34 years, nine months, and 15 days, the defendant has served his maximum sentence and is released effective this date. And I mean, the courtroom went crazy. There was like 50 friends and family members, and they just went crazy, clapping and hallelujah. And I just remember just bawling my eyes out, and I'm saying, "Thank you, Judge. Thank you." And what happened was the judge got up and walked off the bench. He never closed the court. He just walked off the bench. Well, they came and they gave me some clothes, and people were, you know, clapping and hugging, and they took the chains off. They gave me some clothes and said, Gene, go change Mary to my sister, take your brother home. Which was like, I'm like, trip. I'm like, this is, this is, this doesn't even sound right. But the, the Lord had filled that courtroom. But for a moment, it got real quiet. And, it, and, and when it got quiet, someone yells, Unshackle him, release him from his chains, he's a free man. Nobody knows who said it. Someone reported in the paper that it sounded like an angel of the Lord. But I know that my freedom from sin was ordained from eternity. God had a day for me to bend my knee and say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Write my name down in heaven. I want to know your father. And the same with that day that I was released on April 3rd, 2012. Larry... And Debbie, they were on a plane headed to Brazil, but they, they had writ a letter, They had written a letter to the judge and said, that I have a job and a home plan. And when they saw that letter, they said, Gene can go. And so a couple, about three weeks later, I was on a plane headed down to Dallas, Texas to start life where they opened up a house to me and um, just nurtured me. And equip me, over the years, over the years, to equip me to do what I'm doing now. And I love ministry. I love spending time with guys. I love spending time speaking on wherever I get invited. And uh, it's is incredible. Come on, Larry, come on up here. Um, I uh, I just want you to know right now that I love you. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for joining us today. I want to thank all of you who support our ministry and make this possible. If you'd like to partner with us, simply click the link in the description for more info. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel in order to be notified of future episodes. For more information on service times and location, please visit watersidechurch.com. Have a blessed day in Jesus and go be the church.